been talking about a Christian home and that uh, song talks at least about part of what a Christian home uh, should be able to be. As you leave today, right here in the middle, there's a small table and there's a bunch of postcards and these postcards say on the third day, it's an advertisement for our Easter service. Um, everything changed on the third day, right? And um, back of this postcard, it tells a little bit uh, about our service. And then there's a blank label here. But you can take one, two, or more of these cards, and you have family or friends that you would like to be able to invite to our Easter service. You could just uh, put their address right there on the label. There's a place right here to be able to put a 40, whatever it is now, 44, 45, what is it, 5? Okay, a 45-cent stamp. And uh, be able to just invite some family or friends, neighbors to our service coming up two weeks from today. So as you leave here today, don't be shy. Don't think, well, I probably shouldn't grab five. Take ten if you, if you have all those people to be able to mail them to. That would be great. We'll be mailing something, some out as a church ourselves. But uh, you all know people that we don't. So I'd like you to, to be aware of that. If you go out this door, you're going to have to turn a little bit to your left to be able to see that. But if you see this, would that remind you to be able to, to pick one of those up? I'd also like to be able to remind you that on Easter Sunday, we're going to be doing our cardboard testimonies. And we've talked about that the last two weeks, showing you a video of that. If you'd like to be able to take part in our cardboard testimonies, would you get word to us? We have 12 people so far that have asked to be able to take part in that. We'd like to get up to about 20 or so. So uh, if you've kind of been wanting to do that but kind of have been putting off talking to us about it, tell me, tell Brandon, tell Karen, tell someone in the office, and we can be able to put your name uh, down for the cardboard testimony uh, list. Okay? <laughs> Pastor Diane, I'm looking for you. Are you in here right now? I know that she's probably making pancakes back there. That's okay. We finish our series that we've been calling The Most Important Place on Earth. Taken from this book, I haven't checked. Well, I think we've bought, bought five copies of these, and they were all gone. I don't know if any of them have been returned or not. And today I want to be able to talk, finish up, on our most important place on earth. We have said uh, through these four or five weeks that a Christian home is one where the leadership is thoroughly Christian in all that it means, not in a cultural type of way. I remember my dad one time went knocking on doors for his Central United Methodist Church in Maysville, Kentucky, and knocked on the door and asked someone if they were a Christian. He says, well, do you think I'm a Jew? So it was like a cultural thing. Christian or Jew. A, a Christian is not just something that is a cultural thing. It's something that's happened to you, that you're thoroughly Christian. We've talked about that united Christian leadership, that not being unequally yoked. And I had a discussion with a uh, couple that's going to be married in about a year about that unequally yoked business. And I was glad that they were taking that to heart. And it's, they had some real questions about that. Unequally yoked doesn't mean that you see eye to eye on everything. <laughs> what husband and wife have ever seen eye to eye on everything? Okay, Sue's wrong about a lot of things. <laughs> but on the number one most important central focus 
you're united. This is a Christian home. She likes the thermostat at 72, and I like it at 68. We're still a Christian home. <laughs> we talked about Christian homes are safe places. Safe places, not the metal detector kind of safe place. Safe places. Safe places for your kids to, to tell you the truth, no matter what that truth is. Safe places to mess up, make mistakes. Safe places to be able to ask anything. Safe places uh, in neighborhoods. Safe and secure places where kids will know mom and dad will always be mom and dad. The security that comes with that. Safe, we talked about it, that it should be a safe place. The next week we talked about Christian homes or places where accepting responsibility is taught and more important than teaching it, modeling that. Because things are more easily caught than taught. Okay? We can thwart the grace of God in our life when we don't step up and say, I admit my fault. If I keep blaming, I thwart the grace of God in my life. Last week we talked that the most important place on earth is actually a church. And the most important church is not the one that meets at work. Ever we attend, 1204 West 2nd Street, the most important church is the one that you pastor, the one that meets in your home, moms and dads that you pastor. And we talk through that out of Deuteronomy 6. This morning, I just want to be able to finish, and there's so many things that we could talk about on characteristics of a Christian home, but I just want to be able to say this morning that that. In Christian homes, the words that are spoken should be thoroughly Christian. The conversation that we have, husband and wife, husband to kids, wife to kids, should be thoroughly Christian. The words that we speak have a lot to do with our home being Christian our home being something less than that. Communication is, you know, there are two things in life that make, can make us really successful people. Well, depending on how you define success, two of the things in life that really make life go better for us are not ever taught in school. You can go all the way through to get a master's degree or more and never really be able to learn or be taught how to handle your finances or how to talk to people. You don't, you don't learn that anywhere. In English class, you learn how to write a paper and that's not, you know, you know, you learn how to pronounce words, but I'm talking about right down where the rubber meets the road, being able to look at somebody in the eye and be able to get your point across and not in a, you know, confrontational type of way, not in a, in a, in a, in a laid-back, passive, passive-aggressive type of way, but just to say what you mean and mean what you say. We don't learn that anywhere. We don't learn that anywhere. And we just, our, our school system just assumes that we pick it up. And, 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 and where we do learn it, because we don't learn it at school system, is we learn it at home. And that may be a good model or it may not be a good model. 
So that's why businesses clamor for people to come talk to their employees on communication issues because it's the single biggest deal in the workplace. I don't care what workplace you have. Communication is vital to us, and it's not only vital to a Christian home. It's, it's vital to everything. Without communication, there is really no life. Think about that just for a second. When someone has a stroke and they cannot pronounce words, so you say, well, they can't communicate. What's the first thing a nurse does if they still have use of their limbs? Hand them a sheet of paper. Why? So they can communicate. Because communication is the essence of what it means to be human. And even, even people that have lost use of limbs, there's elaborate ways that we have technology that allows them to communicate because it seems part and parcel to who we are as human beings. Our words are very critical to us, and not only because we need them to relate, but it's a spiritual issue for us. We have Luke chapter 6, verse 45, I believe. This scripture, along with others, makes the words out of our mouths in our Christian homes a spiritual issue. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the overflow of my heart, my mouth speaks. That makes the words I say in my Christian home a very spiritual matter. And it's been a year now since I've talked about kind of the choices that we make in our words. And I thought I'd come back to it today because it has everything to do with being thoroughly Christian. That verse says that if my tongue is not right, if my words are not right, it's not a slip of the tongue. It's a slip of the heart. And, and people will say things like, well, I, I've got my tongue from my grandmother. Well, maybe grandmother needed a little heart work herself. Oh, I didn't really mean to say that. I wonder when, when I have said that, did I really? I think at that moment that the words came out, I probably did mean it. I might not have liked now the consequences of that, or I didn't like the way that sounded or something, but I don't know if words have ever just unconsciously regurgitated out of my mouth. I've got a brain that can control this tongue if I choose to do that. This communication thing in the home, this, these words we say are very much a spiritual matter. Good hearts choose good words. Good hearts choose good words. And that doesn't mean that we're, we're always perfect on that and that's why we have a Savior. And, but, but, but it's just not that we excuse that. We accept responsibility that that was too harsh or that was not loving or whatever that may be. And, and, and we ask forgiveness for that and, and, and we, we repent of that. I don't want to do that again, Lord. Help me not to do that again. Christian homes has everything to do with what we say and how we say it. 
Your mother grew up telling you, right? It's not what you say. It's how you say it. Your grandmother, your mother, your dad, your grandfather ended up telling you that. And you thought, well, that sounds pretty good wisdom. That, must, that just must be like, you know, handed down from generation to generation. No. That's scripture. Your grandmother, who may or may not have been a Christian, was using biblical wisdom when she said, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. Got a couple more scriptures up there, Jeff. I think the first one is in Ephesians. Speaking the truth, what you say, what you say in love, how you say it. And then it says, we will grow up into all things. Go back one slide, please. We will grow up into all things. Talking about spiritual maturity. That's what spiritually mature people do when we've grown up into him. We, 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 yes, what we say, but it's how we say it. Speaking the truth in love. And then Colossians 4. Next verse. Let your conversation be full of grace, how you say it. Seasoned with salt. The truth of what you say. Do you know you can speak too much truth? Do you know I can, I can be too much of a truth teller? If I was too much of a truth teller, you'd probably fire me. Wouldn't you? Because we can't, can't deal with that. That's why we bring evangelists in for like five days to just... <laughs> but if a pastor does that 52 weeks a year, you know... Christian words, what you say, how you say it. Let your conversation be full of love, full of grace, full of mercy, not doused with salt, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Speaking the truth in love and Conversation being seasoned with salt, full of grace, can mean a lot of things. And just let me give me a couple of minutes. I'm not going to spend too much time there. But when, you know, when we speak the truth in love, what does that mean? Does this truth really need to be said? Yeah, it's truth. Yeah, I know it's truth. We're not going to deny. Does it really need to be said? Does it build up the other person? Does it really help the situation? Or does it make me feel good? Is it kind? Is it necessary? You've heard people say, well, I probably shouldn't say this. Then what do they say? But... It's probably true, but is it really necessary? Is it, is it really, really necessary to be able to say that? Speaking the truth in love can mean, as the singer there from Sanctus Real, the writer of that song, said, you know, 
learning to be able to confront. I'm not doing my family a, a, a I'm not acting in love to my family as I stuff stuff that needs to be dealt with, as I stick it under the rug, as I stick it under the bed, if, as I don't want to deal with it because all oh, the trouble that that'll cause. I'm not sure I'm really acting in love to my family. I'm not sure that I'm leading my family as I say, well, you know, we probably need to talk about that, but boy, would that cause a lot of trouble. I don't know how she'll deal with that. I don't know how he'll deal with that. I don't know how the kids would deal if we... Well, what I want to focus on this for the remaining few minutes that I have on, and I, I think as I've planned out my messages for the rest of the year, I think somewhere we'll probably do a three or four week series on, on talking the walk. Talking the walk. But what I want to say today is, is, is how is it that we're gracious in our conversation? And I could talk about this and that and saying this or not saying that, but you, you want to know, I think one of the best ways to be gracious in our communication or conversation in our Christian homes is to choose not to speak. I think one of the most gracious decisions that can be made is for me to choose not to speak. Now, that doesn't mean I choose not to speak and I'm stuffing stuff under the rug that needs to be dealt with. That's, you know that's what I'm talking about. How many times in my life have I gotten myself in trouble and chose to be very unwise by saying what I said? Is one of the most gracious things that, that we can do sometimes is to say nothing at all. Sometimes there's something that must be said, and I'm being a coward if I don't say it, and I'm not being a leader. But it's sometimes the most gracious thing that I can do is just to be quiet, to not enter in, to not give my two cents. Proverbs 10, 19, and I didn't give you this, Jeff, so don't freak out up there looking for it. But Proverbs 10, 19 says, when words are many, sin is not absent. But he who holds his tongue is wise. Where words are many, sin is not absent. But he who holds his tongue is wise. You know, little Levi would very seldom get in trouble if he just keep his mouth shut. <laughs> Proverbs seventeen twenty seven. Proverbs seventeen twenty seven. A man of knowledge uses words with restraint. A man of knowledge uses words with restraint. Now, why, why would that be? It seems like a smart guy. He's got lots of words, right? A man of knowledge uses words with restraint. Why? Well, 
the very next chapter in Proverbs 18.21 says, the tongue has the power of life and death. And all of you can remember when a tongue was used against you in a way that brought death to that moment, death to your spirit. A man of knowledge uses words with restraint, and a man of understanding is even-tempered. Even a fool... <laughs> my dad used to say this, and I didn't even know it was Scripture. My, my, my dad said, better to keep your mouth shut and be thought a fool than to open it and remove all doubt. And I didn't even know it was a scripture. I thought it was something Dad read in Reader's Digest once or something like that. But here it is, 1728. Even a fool is thought wise if he keeps silent and discerning if he holds his tongue. I just wonder. There's lots of things that we can talk about what needs to be said in a Christian home and how you say it. I know all of that. But what isn't talked about too much is the wise choice that's spoken all through the book of Proverbs of choosing not to speak. And again, not in a cowardly way and not that I'm stuffing stuff under the rug. No. Is there time when it's the best form of communication just to be able to shut up? Now, I don't know how that works out in your Christian home. But I know how it works out in mine. Sometimes I have the urge to say something, and I think that urge is just from Mark's flesh. Mark wanted to make himself feel good. Mark wanted to prove himself right. Is it necessary? Proverbs 29, 20. Proverbs 29, 20. Do you see a man who speaks in haste? There's more hope for a fool than for him. And, and, and why is it, friends, that, that we choose not to speak? Because I think one of the most gracious things that can happen in a home, one of the most gracious things that can happen in a home is that there's people listening to one another. <laughs> one of the most gracious things that a father can do to a son is to listen to him, and a mother can do to a son, a mother to a daughter. There's listening that goes on, not just perfunctory listening. There's listening that goes on in the home. It's one of the great reasons that I may choose not to speak is so, so that I may listen and it can is a culture of listening in the home instead of just a culture of everybody talking. It's a culture of listening. Something that we don't probably talk about too much. But is that a gracious part of communication? I think, yeah, Proverbs 18, 13 says, he who answers before listening that is his folly and his shame
I can't remember if I've shared this with you or not, and if I have, it's worthy of sharing again. I know I've shared it more than once with the staff at staff meeting. I heard this as I was going to do a communication retreat in, in uh, Youngstown, Ohio once, and I was listening to a CD set on listening, secular stuff. And the lady that was doing that said this, and I literally had to pull over and write it down. And I've used it everywhere since. And I don't have her name, but this is not from my brain. The question she posed to me through that CD, and the question I pose to you today on this whole choosing not to speak so we can listen thing, do I, do I listen with the intent of listening? Or do I listen with the intent of of talking. I don't know about you. That nailed me. I'll repeat it again to you. Do I listen with the intent of listening? Or do I listen with the intent of responding? With the intent of talking myself? Just waiting for you to breathe so I can take my turn. I think... A gracious home full of kindness, respect, love, mercy. A gracious home will be a home of people who are listening with the intent of listening. Not with the intent of talking. That sounds gracious to me. That sounds Christian to me. Stephen Covey wrote a book. Somebody said, I, I think, I guess, don't quote me, but I'm, I'm pretty sure it was like the most influential business book of 1980s, the whole decade. The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And habit number five of highly, this is a business book, okay? Uh, written for CEOs and people that want to achieve in the corporate world. Habit number five uh, seek first to understand, then to be understood. Listening. <laughs> that sounds very Christian to me. That sounds very Christian to me. And when I seek to be understood first, to get what I want to say in there, that doesn't feel Jesus to me. And I don't know if I got a scripture to go to you and tell you that. It just doesn't feel Jesus to me. But seeking first to understand, then to be understood, that feels like Jesus to me. I can give you a whole talk and about communication and words and how you say them and body language and tone of voice, and there's a place and a time for all of that. But I just want to take a few minutes today to, to one of the greatest ways that we can have conversation that is full of grace, full of grace that's influenced by Jesus, that's led by Jesus many times to choose not to speak and one of the reasons we choose not to speak is 
so I can listen to the other person. I've told you before and I'll tell you again. I've got to listen when Levi brings me his papers where he's written the umpteenth level of angry birds on a sheet of paper. And I know most of you don't know what that is, but he's written angry birds level. And he tells me everything about that. And it takes him five minutes to tell how this bird will kill this pig. And I mean, it just, some of you have no clue what I'm talking about. Go Google angry birds and you'll figure it out. But if I don't sit there and listen to level number 92 for angry birds that he's written on a construction sheet of paper, if I don't listen then, he probably won't come to me when he's 15 and got really something important to be able to tell. Because he will learn that his dad was too busy or too important to listen about angry birds. I can remember, and I, I catch myself many times, they'll, they'll want to show me something, and I'm just not interested at all in it. And I'll say, well, I just don't have time right now. Or, and I'll remember how I wanted my dad sometimes to just watch something that I was interested in. And maybe it was a ball game or something, and and how important to me for me to share this thing that was important to me with my dad. That was important. And sometimes he did and sometimes he does like probably we've all done. And so, I, you know, I'll do that later. And, you know, I, and we can't spend all the time. I know that. But there's something very gracious about a home full of listening of home full of people that at appropriate times choose not to speak. A home full of people that are listening with the intent of listening, not with the intent of speaking. I wish I had a scripture verse that I could go say, look, there's that right there in scripture. Listen with the intent. I don't have that. But I don't know about you, but if I picture Jesus was sitting right here and I was talking to Jesus about whatever my issue is. The view I have of Jesus, the picture I have of Jesus, is that he would be fully engaged with me. That's what I think of Jesus. The God-man, he would be right here. He'd be fully engaged with me, even though he's the governor of the universe He'd be fully engaged in probably in the whole scheme of thing, my little petty problem. That's Jesus to me. And we are called to be Christ-like disciples. And if that should be Jesus, somehow in our humanity, that should be us. not being able to do it perfectly like Jesus would, but our humanity somehow listening graciously, choosing not to speak, listening with the intent of listening, not just wanting to spout my opinion. I'm learning in my 16th year now of preaching to give you less and less material because I've 
think in my 16 years I've just flooded people with material. And the only thing I came to give you today, really, was how is it that our homes can be maybe be a little more Christian in this whole area of words and conversation and communication? Is sometimes nip it. wise not to speak so I may listen, really listen to the other person. That feels like Jesus to me. And, and maybe one of the greatest barometers of our behavior, whether it's verbal or any other kind of behavior, is not if I've got a proof text to go to and say, yeah, look right there, Proverbs 17, 27. Maybe as we learn the whole word, does it feel like Jesus? Does it feel like Jesus? Stephen Manley used to, used to say, I don't, he used to be on a kick. He, he goes, that don't smell like Jesus. That don't smell like Jesus. And our homes should have the aroma of Christ. Let's stand together, please. Lord God, we cannot have a gracious homes unless we've had grace applied to our lives. And I thank you for the grace that was first applied to my life and has been applied so many ways since then. May I respond to that grace that you have given me by being gracious, especially in this area of our words, because we know that the tongue has the power of life and death. May our Christian homes, may the words in our Christian homes, may what we say and how we say them be different because we're Christian. Take this message now. Let us chew on it, think about it, but more importantly, may we apply it and put it into practice. Pray all these things in Jesus' name.